0: This week, uh, the passage for us is um, the penultimate book of the Bible. It's just before the last book, which is Revelation. We're looking at Jude. Um, I've requested Sarita to read out uh, the portion of the passage for us. It's Jude chapter 1, verses 17 to 24. Jude 1, 17 to 24.
1: But you must remember, beloved the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen man
0: this is god's word shall we just pray before we go into the talk lord what an assurance to him and only him who is able to keep us from stumbling jesus we come to you because you are the ultimate keeper of our hearts you protect it and and uh, you you help us in this journey of life and you help us uh, to help us to grow in our faith and you're the only one keeping us from walking away from this faith. This morning, even as we look to your word, we pray that, uh, Holy Spirit, you will meet our hearts at a point of need and, and you will uh, speak to our hearts in a way that uh, that is relevant to us and, and uh, you will make this word come alive. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, I've titled my talk, Persevering in the Faith. And uh, these are the three things that I I want us to look at this morning. The first thing is the call to persevere in the faith. Second thing is our struggle to persevere in the faith. And third thing is finding the strength to persevere. Yeah, let's look at the first thing, the call to persevere. What is the guarantee... That tomorrow morning when you wake up, you will still remain a Christian. When I ask this question, I'm not talking about Christian on your certificate or your official documents or anything. In your own hearts, deeply, fundamentally believe that Jesus is true. He is real. He alone is the savior of our hearts. What is the guarantee? If not tomorrow, five years down the line, what is the guarantee? We've all seen beloved Christian leaders and giants in the faith walking away from faith. What is the guarantee that we will remain Christian or followers of Jesus? You know, this book, this letter, Jude, um, is actually an SOS letter to this church. We don't know which church it is. Um, He leaves it unnamed, but it's an SOS letter. Um, Jude says, I was going to write to you in general about salvation, but suddenly this came up, so I'm writing this. And he's saying the, the main call of this letter is to persevere in the faith. When the Bible says the faith, it's not talking about our act of believing or or our ability to believe. It's not faith in Christ coming and showing up for us and healing us or uh, you know, uh, um, him just rescuing us. That's, that's not our ability. When the Bible says the faith, it is talking about what we believe in, right? So he's talking about the gospel, the, the good news of who Jesus is, what he's done, and how that changes everything, it impl- its implications for all of life. So when Jude is saying persevere in the faith, is he saying persevere in believing the gospel, why is he writing this we see that in in the starting portion of the of this chapter but you must remember beloved the predictions of the apostles of our lord jesus christ they said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions it is these who cause divisions worldly people devoid of the spirit why is jude asking this church to remember this teaching or this warning from the apostles. We see that early on in the letter. This is where he states why he's writing it. This is is the SOS need. In verse 4, we see that where he says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and lord Jesus Christ. They were ungodly people who crept into this church unnoticed to pursue their own ungodly passions. These are people who came to the church and, and, and they were perverting the gospel, living a licentious life and propagating the same. Why is this dangerous? It's dangerous first because he says... They've come in unnoticed. The church didn't notice them. They were not open Christ haters or open blasphemers. These are people who, who proclaim their faith in Christ. That is why they were there in the church. And they blended in well. In, we, we see that in verse 12. He says, these are hidden reefs at your love feasts. As they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves. Some of them even became leaders in this church. He's calling them shepherds. So these are people who they're unnoticeable because, because it's not that they're openly hating on Christ or saying, I don't believe in Christ. They believe in Christ, but here's the thing. Here's how you'll notice them. Jude says, watch out for their lifestyle. Their life will show an open, clear denial of the Lordship of Christ. How will we see that? How will we see their open denial? Here's how Jude is helping us see. Three times in their description of who these people are, we'll see that in verse 18 first, he says, in the last time, there'll be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. Second thing, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. Third thing, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality. Now, These are the, the lifestyle, how they will, how we can notice them and see them is these people will follow their own ungodly passions or sinful desires. They might not openly say Jesus is not Lord, but their lifestyle is not going to show that. Friends, here's the thing. Why is this relevant for us as a church today? I'd like to share two reasons. The first one, As a church, we're growing. God is bringing this growth and and we're grateful. But as we grow and people come in, one of the biggest challenges for us as a community is going to be fiercely guarding the centrality of the gospel. This is the faith that we're we're being asked to keep and persevere in. What do I mean by centrality of the gospel? Letting everything that we do all of our life, not just here in church, but outside there in work, everything be shaped by the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Now, while we were 50 to 60 people pre pandemic, it was kind of easier to do this because there there, there was a possibility for each of us to have real one-on-one deep relationships with each other. So it, it was not just easy to pass on the, the gospel centered value, but it was easy for them to also see our lives because we were able to do so much of life together and, and catch it. It was not just taught, but it was also caught. But as we are growing, I don't know about you, but look to your left and right. How many people do we actually know in this church? I'm not saying this as a bad thing. As churches grow, this is bound to happen. But in this God-ordained season of growth, and dare I say quick growth compared to at least our pre-pandemic season, doing this, fiercely guarding the gospel in all of our life, and then passing on that value is becoming hard. Now notice, Jude is writing this letter not just to the leaders of the church. He's not saying it is your job to guard the gospel. Yes, it's the elder's job to primarily do that. But he's writing this to the whole church and he's saying, all of you, every follower of Christ is called to fiercely guard the gospel, fiercely guard the centrality of the gospel. Now, this is the first reason. All of us, this is a calling on all of us. Why is there, why, why is this, why, what's the second reason? Why, why, why is it relevant to us as a church today? this passage is specifically warning us about straying away from the gospel in the licentious way now if this is your first time in new city let me break this down for you that there, there we believe that there's not just one way to sin and go away from jesus it's two ways one way is the licentious way where where as the passage is telling there's we're rejecting jesus by pursuing our own ungodly passions and sinful desires but the other way is legalism rejecting jesus by our own good works and trying to earn this salvation by our own ability to live this holy life. That's the other way. Culturally, where we stand as a church right now, between these two and equal opposite errors of legalism and licentiousness, we are more likely to stray away from the gospel on the licentious route. Most of us inherently reject legalism. Probably because we've come from churches that have that have uh, been legalistic and we're, we're looking for something fresh and new and, and we don't want we've probably grown up in legalistic homes where faith was followed um, as a rule, as a law. So most of us, culturally where we are present right now, we, we inherently reject legalism. So if someone new comes to a New City, and and they appear this in this very pious, very legalistic way. Subconsciously, we're gonna keep our distance from that person. That that's how we are culturally, are, are wired. But if someone comes into new city, and is this culturally cool, licentious type, we are more likely to be accepting and condoning of this straying away from the gospel. Uh, In our hearts, we subconsciously uh, take ourselves away from legalism. But if someone new comes in this cool cool Christian who is culturally much more uh, relevant or cool in our sense, we we are much more likely to be accepting and condoning of this straying away from the gospel. And eventually we are more vulnerable to become more and more like them. Why am I saying this? The identifying mark of these licentious people are people like we've seen who follow their own ungodly desires and passions. What is an ungodly desire or passion? What makes a desire or passion ungodly? When a desire or passion for something good, be it power, control, sex, money... All good things exceeds our desire or passion for Jesus. It becomes an ungodly desire or ungodly passion. Right? Now, aren't we constantly being taught to go chasing after what makes us feel good and feel complete? That that wholesome life, that whatever whatever makes us feel like we're, we made it. And we, we, we even say Christ actually freed us to enjoy all these things. Friends, this is why we as New City at this point in time need this warning against licentiously straying away from the gospel. And, and, and Jude is writing this SOS letter to this church to persevere in their most holy faith, which is the gospel in the light of all of this. Now, why do we struggle? Why do we struggle to persevere in the faith? Why do we struggle to wake up Monday to Saturday believing, oh, this gospel is true. How is this going to change my life today? Why don't we wake up doing that every day? What's our struggle? To understand this, Let's look at the structure of how Jude is writing this letter. This is how he starts the letter. First he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, a brother of James. And look at this. To those who are called beloved in God the Father and are kept for Jesus Christ. That's what he says. Then he warns them of all these false licentious teachers and he tells them how God will judge them and then he goes on to call the church to persevere. He says, but you beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Here he's calling us to persevere. And then this is how he ends this letter. We've seen it now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. He's ending again with saying, Christ is preserving you. Now here's the thing. Let's look at all these three together. What is happening here? First verse, he's telling us we are kept for Christ. That means we are preserved. And in between, he's telling us, keep yourselves in the love of God, which is he's asking us to persevere. And then he's ending the letter again. He's saying, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, which is, he is able to preserve us. Jude is saying... Because you are being preserved by God, persevere in your faith. Now at face value, this seems absurd. Why? If my faith is being kept by God, why should I then persevere and keep it myself? We often don't understand this relationship between God preserving us and us persevering in him. And those of us who are inclined to stray away from the gospel in the licentious way, this is what we are inclined to believe. Since God is preserving me, I don't need to persevere. I'm just going to let him do his thing in my life. Yeah? Isn't that what we believe? Isn't that how we live? How does this play out? Tell me if you resonate with any of these statements. First thing, I know that I'm saved. I believe in Jesus he died for me and, and when, when he comes back again, I'm going to heaven. And in the here and now, I'm just going to live this life. I'm going to go to church and all of that. You know, I'm going to worship him. But right now, before he comes back, I'm going to live this life. I'm going to chase my dreams and passions. Because anything that I do, is never going to, he's not going to revoke his love based on anything that I do. Because I'm kept for him. And he's able to keep me up. He'll keep me safe. And if you're in new city for any length of time, if you understand the past, present, and future nature of the gospel, this is, this is how I terribly more often think when I am sort of trying to justify my sinful behavior, right? We're likely to say, anyway, the presence of sin is going to be removed only when Christ comes back right? Till then the presence of sin is going to be there. So why must I beat myself up? It's okay once in a while. Doesn't that seem relatable? Friends, this is what the false teachers were practicing in the church. This is how they lived their lives. Jude calls it perverting the grace of God. You know what another symptom of this false belief is? Where we're constantly... uh, where, Where we're thinking, since God is preserving me, I don't need to persevere. You know what another symptom is? We're constantly trying to see how far is too far. How much can I test the grace of God? Instead of keeping ourselves at the center of God's love and basking in it, we're constantly lurking around the fringes... What else can I do for him to stop loving me? You know, wh- when, when do I cross that line? When, when have I crossed the line? We tend to take good verses in the Bible, Instagram-worthy verses like this, and read it out of context. We look at Romans 8 where he says, For I am sure neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor present or things to come, neither height nor death, anything, nothing can separate me from the love of God Christ Jesus, my sin is never going to separate me. This is true. We tend to hold these verses close and ignore verses like in the Galatians, when the same Paul says, Now the works of flesh are evident sexual immorality, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. And look, look what he adds to that list fists of anger, fits of anger, envy, drunkenness, all these things. Look at what he's saying. I warn you, as I warned before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Isn't that hard hitting? This is the same Paul who preaches about the grace of God, and he's saying, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Neither height nor death, angels, demons. How much is my sin compared to all of that? Which of these two verses are you more likely to share on Instagram? And this is why Jude is writing to this church. Even though he's saying you're preserved by God twice, he's opening the letter, he's saying you're kept for Christ. And then he's closing the letter by saying to the only one who's able to keep you from stumbling, Christ is going to keep you from stumbling. He's saying that twice. But the rest, 80% of the letter, he's exhorting this church in the light of this persevere. He's telling them, look at the past. Look at how Israelites, when they didn't persevere, God judged them. And they they missed out on this promise in this promised land. And then they they fell out of faith. 80% of this letter is asking them to persevere, persevere. And, and, and he's giving them two key aspects of persevering. Look at what he's telling them. First thing he's telling them, persevere as an individual by yourselves. He says, but you beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Here's what he's saying. The central commandment here is keep yourselves in the love of God and he's telling them how to do it. He's saying first, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, and third thing, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at here, the whole Trinity is involved. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in love of God the Father. What is Jude trying to tell them? He's basically telling them, keep yourself ...in the very thing that is keeping you. Let me repeat that. Keep yourself, persevere... ...in the very thing that is keeping you. Preserving you. Allow me to give an illustration for this. When we go scuba diving... ...no matter how amazing a scuba diver you are... ...when you are under the water you're never going to take your mask out. You're always going to keep your mask skin on for the entire duration where you're underwater. Why are you keeping it on? Because it is, it, only it has the power to keep you safe as long as you're underwater. Now here's my point. Christ preserving us doesn't absolve us from our responsibility to persevere. In fact, we are persevering in him because he's the only one keeping us. We're leaving our oxygen mask on because that's the only thing keeping us alive underwater. So our our responsibility to persevere, our call to persevere is, is actually based on if Christ is not preserving us, why should we persevere? If there's no oxygen in that oxygen cylinder, why should we keep the mask on? So Jude is telling them, hey, he's preserving you. He's keeping you. So keep yourself in the very thing that is keeping you. Do not go away. Saying preserve yourself. Preserve as individuals. Persevere as individuals. The second thing he's saying, and this has great and and might i say uncomfortable implications for us as a church i struggled with this while preparing uh, but i'm laying it out because god had put this in his word here he's saying persevere as a local church we're called to persevere not just as lone rangers but in the context of the local church look at what jude is saying verse 22 and 23 and have mercy on those who doubt and he's saying save others by snatching them out of the fire, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Firstly, he's saying, have mercy on those who doubt. Now, these are real doubters who are struggling. These are people who who want to believe in the gospel, but the culture seems much more real to their hearts. And they're wrestling, saying, have mercy, walk with them. These are not scoffers, which he was talking about, which Jude was warning this church about. These are real doubters. Now the second thing. Look at what he's saying. This is very strong language. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. He's not talking about those outside the church. He's not talking about those outside in the world. He's talking about those of us In the church. You know one of the expressions of the false belief. That Christ is preserving me. So I don't need to persevere. Is this. When we see someone struggling in their faith. And backsliding. We remain passive. And we don't want to get our hands dirty. Or ruffle any feathers. Christ will do his work. This verse is calling us out on our passiveness. You know, strong believers obeying Christ and taking risks to challenge licentious believers in the community is the way God is keeping the latter from stumbling, is one of His ways. And in His sovereignty, He has chosen. To use us imperfect people to do that. I think it was Alan Hirsch, an Australian writer, uh, who said this. I'm not putting it up on the slide because it's not verbatim, because I heard someone quote him. He says, the Bible or the communion is not gonna jump out of the shelf to go and pull out a backsliding Christian. It's the community that does that it's a loving brother or sister who's gonna come bring the word to you in christ's sovereignty he has designed for it to be this way friends how are we being passive in persevering together as a church it's very strong language save others by snatching them out of the fire this is the church this is in the church Now, I know that what we are being called to feels like a herculean task. I mean, this is crazy. Forget persevering for my own self. Trying to be God's channel of preserving others as well in this community. How on earth do I find the strength to do this? Jude is ending with a relief. After he writes all of that. He says now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. Be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time now and forever. Amen. What is Jude trying to do? Friends. Isn't it comforting to know that our call to persevere is sandwiched between two assurances that he is preserving us? He's preserving you, so persevere and he will keep you from stumbling as you persevere. How is he able to preserve us? How does Jesus do this? Let's look at three ways and I'm going to establish it from this very chapter. This is how, this is the three ways in which Jesus preserves us to help us continue persevering. Let's look at the first way. He preserved us in the past. First, this is how Jude starts it. He says to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. In the past, Christ became man walked on this earth, lived a life of absolute perfect perseverance. You know, he was tempted in many ways, in more ways than you and I can ever be. He was tempted. He, he was handed the kingdoms of the world on a platter. He said, you just bow to me and you'll have this all. And then during his time on earth, People forcefully wanted to come and make him king. He, he had these high moments on the sermon on the mount when he just preached. He, he fed many people, healed so many people and everyone wanted to come. Let's, let's take this guy and make him king by force. Jesus persevered and stayed the course and rejected all of that. In the garden of Gethsemane, Knowing that the cross was before him, he prayed in agony, not my will, Lord. If it is possible, let this cup pass, but not my will, but yours. This is him persevering. Since Christ persevered to willingly take the punishment of our unfaithful persevering. So that we can receive the reward of his perfect sinless perseverance. he removed the punishment in the past for our failure to persevere. And what he actually persevered for was the cross. At no point did he let anything power, you know, democracy, Anything, he he was, people were out there to make him king, but he didn't let anyone come in the way of him going to the cross so that nothing can come in the way of us enjoying the reward of his perseverance. This is how he preserved us in the past, in the present. Look at what 24 is saying. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. How is he doing this? A follower of Jesus says this, who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised and look at what he's doing, who is at the right hand of God, who is who indeed is interceding for us as if dying on the cross was not enough. He's right now sitting next to the father interceding for you and I. Do you remember that week, that moment when, when uh, Jesus tells Peter, the devil asked me for you, but I prayed for you, Peter. That you will not fall. And look at how where Peter ended up, persevering for the faith on the cross. He's right now interceding for us so that we will not stumble. Not just that, we saw last week he sent his Holy Spirit, the Paracletos, to be with us. Reside in our hearts, bring to joyful remembrance the good news of who Jesus is at our weakest moments to give us power over our sinfulness. This is this is how Jesus is, is in the present, continuous, preserving us. Now let's look to the future. He says, look at the continuation of verse 24. He says, why is he preser- why is he able to keep us from stumbling? To present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. Friends, there's something beautiful here. He's keeping us safe today so that He can present us blameless before the Father. And on that judgment day, when the Father God looks at us, He's going to look at us as perfect people. That day, the presence of sin is going to be removed. But here's the thing. On that day, something else is going to happen. All of our sins are going to be right in front of us. Every single one of them. And this verse says, the emotion that we will experience on that day is great joy. Now, right now, if, if even if 50% of our sins that we are aware of are blaringly up on the screen, we will crumble right here in shame and guilt. But on that day, we're going to be fully known. We'll, we'll see ourselves for who we are. And look at Jesus. And Jesus is going to say, I paid for it all. I was punished for this And the emotion we are going to experience on that day is joy. And not just that. Can you believe on that day when we will see all of our ugly sins? We will also see all the sins that Christ indeed gave us power over. And made us victorious here on this earth. Imagine that friends. We're going to look at all those times where we we were about to give in. We were were absolutely weak and ready to crumble. But Christ gave us the strength to persevere. Oh, what joy we're going to experience when we see that. Friends, this is why we persevere in this faith. Because Christ, in Christ alone is worthy of all our perseverance he is worthy of it all so so how do we practically today what does it mean for us to persevere it's simple look to christ every moment and acknowledge that we are vulnerable to stumble Acknowledge we are vulnerable to stumble and receive his power in that very moment to persevere. That's what it practically looks like. You know, very famous hymn written uh, by a pastor who himself had a difficult faith life. He writes this beautiful song called, Come the Fount of Every Blessing. And this is what he says in the song. He says, O to grace, how great a debtor, daily I am constrained to be. Let that grace now, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it. For thy courts above. Friends, this is the anthem of our lives in the here and now. We live in this already and not yet world where Christ is come and is going to come again. But here right now, the presence of sin is real. So instead of saying Christ is preserving me, I don't need to persevere at all. Here's how we keep the mask on. Continuously, the mask of Christ on, acknowledge that we are prone to stumble and ask God, bind my wandering heart to Thee. Let Thy grace like a fetter, like chains, bind my wandering heart to Thee. Allow me to close in prayer, but before I close, I'm just going to give us... A minute to make this our own prayer. Acknowledge how we are vulnerable to stumble. Because if we are not going to see the problem, we are not going to ask Jesus. Acknowledge the very specific area in which we are vulnerable to walk away from this beautiful grace and pervert it. That one area which makes us feel, anyway, the presence of sin is going to be removed only when Christ comes. So it's not a big deal today. What is that one area that we find ourselves justifying the most time and time again? Lord, we come to you and make the prayer. We are prone to wander, Lord. We are prone to leave the God we love. Take our hearts. Take and seal them. Seal them for the courts, for your courts above, so we can dwell with you in eternity forever. Lord, help us to not constantly keep testing the boundaries of your love, but actually come to the center, enjoy, bask in it. Let's let, help us not to ask how far is too far. Help us to constantly seek and see how much more of your love can I experience by, by just obeying and surrendering to what you're asking us to do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.